Good morning, Union Chapel. So uh, good to uh, have you in worship with us today. Hope you're doing okay. Uh, first, let me just give you an update. As you know, the reason we're not on campus this weekend is because we had uh, concern with our staff. A couple of weeks ago, one of the members of our team here tested positive for COVID. We were all exposed because of meetings that we had here in the offices. And uh, we've been all been tested. And I have great news to report. Everyone has tested negative for COVID. But those test results didn't come back in time for us to really organize an on-campus service this weekend. So that explains why we're online only this weekend. So welcome. And it's uh, great to have you with us today. We're very excited about this message that we are going to offer in just a moment. And let me just say that uh, for next weekend, uh, the first weekend in August, we're going to uh, uh, be processing and considering whether to be on campus or not. So make sure you tune in to all of our social media sites this uh, coming week. And uh, of course, the announcement will be made uh, hopefully in a timely manner so that we can uh, organize the schedule. Um, we've been talking about building bridges. We've talked about a racial divide that exists in our culture. It's very acute these days, of course. Last week, we talked about uh, this gender divide. This is the age of identity politics. So anything that makes us different is caused, at least for some people, to think we ought to be divided and separated and antagonistic toward one another. And today, I want to talk about the generational divide and how we can bridge the generations and why it's so important. So in all these ways and other divisive places and points in our culture, the church of Jesus Christ is called to bring unity and to bring harmony, bring oneness, and to bring strength out of that. And so it's the call of God on our lives to bridge these divides. Chosen as our text this morning from the New Testament book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read for us verses 9 to 12. And again, today, bridging the generational divide. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Of course, we'll project these words on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And oh yes, he is going to visit us. So Lord, bless us today in the hearing of your word. Thank you all so much. Well, as you know, uh, we live in a world that is divided. And there are lots of reasons for that. But as a result of it, uh, seniors in our culture today, I think, feel marginalized. We have the, the next generations emerging, uh, uh, millennials and Gen Xers who are feeling misunderstood. Younger people, the generation called Generation Z, and now the most uh, frequent cultural sociological generation to emerge is Generation Alpha. 
and these folks feel discounted. And the generations seem to be drifting further and further apart. Now, as, as I mentioned, there, there are reasons for that. One reason is, is a strategy of marketing experts so that, so that if the generations are clearly divided and, and distinguished that way, that there can be niche marketing uh, directed toward these different age groups. I was watching a TV program <laughs> recently and the commercial came on. And the series of commercials included uh, ads for hearing aids, uh, a walk-in bathtub, and reverse mortgages. And I realized through the sequence of commercials that I was on the Geezer channel. And it made me, you know, upset. I was frustrated by that. But they got me. Um, as I just mentioned, uh, those of us on the staff here are, are just uh, recovering from self-quarantine. We spent a whole week after we were tested waiting to see the, the results of our tests. So all of us had to self-quarantine. And so individually, we did that. And corporately, we did that. And that's the nature of responding to a global pandemic, isn't it? Everyone has to take their individual responsibility. And all of us together have to cooperate. And that means that it doesn't matter how old you are, what generation you're from, all of us have to play our part. So when you're trying to do something that has value and worth and importance, you need everybody. No one's extraneous. Everybody's important. Now, let me just remind you what God's idea for the church is in the world. Listen to this. God's idea for the church is to save the world. To save the world, the whole world. Now, that sounds like a grandiose mission, but that is the mission that God has given us as the people of faith in the world, the church. That is the mission, to save the world. And what we know from reading the scripture is that in the early church, everyone was seen as valuable, utilizing people from every generation to try to get that job of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world, the ends of the earth, that it required everyone. You'd need the wisdom, experience, and knowledge of the seniors. We need everyone in the middle, and we need everyone in the younger end because what we are doing is so big, it is so important, it's so huge, it's so massive, it's, it's, it's so overwhelming that everybody is going to be needed. No one's extraneous. So again, as we live in a, in a, a season uh, where differences are so magnified and so, so highlighted and so, uh, and, and, and so negatively placing us at odds with one another, we should be able to notice, pause at least long enough in the church and say, look, what is the biblical vision? What is the biblical model for us? The biblical model is that all of the qualities, all of the gifts, all of the capacities of every generation should be employed in the task of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. So we are called together and we should live those values inside the church so that we can also express those values outside of the church. Let me go through a list of the generations. Let's begin with children. It's on your outline there. You know, it's right to instill in our children at the earliest possible moment, the foundations of the faith, foundations that will last these young ones a lifetime. Our children's workers are reporting that children are asking spiritual questions more and more early. You parents know that this is true. We know from the studies in our culture that people who are coming to a meaningful faith in Jesus Christ 
is at an age level that gets younger and younger and younger. A recent survey of children uh, listed these five questions that children are asking. Number one, will my dog go to heaven? Reasonable question. Number two, is it okay to be mean to my sister if she's being mean to me first? Uh, We're always looking for a loophole, right? (laughs) Uh, Here's a third one. Can I be cool and love God at the same time? Well, of course, of course you can. I mean, just hang around Union Chapel for a while. You can see that. Number four, where do people go when they die? That's a great question. Someone should answer that child's question because we can answer it from a biblical perspective. And number five, how do I know there really is a God? Another great question. So we have this opportunity to watch our kids take their first tab, uh, steps in life, take their uh, first foray into important relationships. Uh, we watch our kids get their heart broken for the first time. We get to watch them take their first big test in life for the first time. And I know you agree while they are doing these first things, it is wise as parents and other leaders, mentors, teachers to instill spiritual truths. So these kids will have a mooring on which to hold on when the storms and questions of life come to them. We have the opportunity to paint their first picture of God, to remind them that God loves them unconditionally and that he His love includes the life of his very own son on their behalf and that he wants to have a personal relationship with them that will last forever. We want our children to understand God made them, wants the best for them, has plans for them, has a destiny for them, has a primary purpose for their lives, that God has placed his hand on every single one of them and that they should be in tune with and sensitive to this sense of God's presence and God's calling on their lives because every person is precious to God. And by the way, we use the Bible. We use the Bible. This is, this is our training manual with our children. We, we don't blink. We don't equivocate. We believe God's word is true and that it can be relied upon to teach children the relevancy and, and the creativity of the word of God to their lives. Too many of us grew up in churches, at least I did, that taught us directly or mostly indirectly. No one said this out loud. Of course, it wasn't the, <laughs> the idea. But this was the message that got communicated that, that God was generally against any form of life that represents having a good time. You know, God's not really into fun. And, oh, by the way, the Bible is a very boring book. You know, unfortunately, the pastor I had growing up in my church made the Bible boring every week of the world. I don't know how you do that, but he managed. But remember Jesus and the times he would stop and spend time with children. You remember these. The adults would express impatience, you know, leave him alone, back away. Jesus always reminded them, let the little ones come unto me, forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is constantly, regularly teaching over the generational divide. He, he knew how important it was to bless the little ones to give them love and hope and encouragement and life. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you did that? So I do it every day. You know, I'm raising these kids. Okay, you're a parent of little ones. Great. You have opportunity on a 24-7 basis to influence them that way. Good for you. But how about the rest of you? When's the last time? When's the last time that you invested in a young person's life like that? 
You know, we live in this performance results oriented culture. And too often uh, in our lives, we ask this question first, what's in it for me? You know, what results come my way if I do something like that? What do I get for serving in our children's ministry? What are the advantages for me? You know, how's this going to enhance my life? Jesus would respond to that question by saying, you're missing the bigger picture. You're actually missing the point because you have to reach over the divide. That's why it's called a divide. There's a generational divide because there's a gap there. And so you have to bridge it. You have to reach across it and you have to reach back to touch these little ones. You have to do that intentionally. You got to make an effort to do that. And and Jesus says, this is what I require of you to to offer hope and life and love to these little ones because they need a foundation on which to stand as well. So if you're you're going to discount these little ones just because they can't add any value to you at this point in your life, just remember this is the mandate of Jesus to all of us to reach these little ones. And besides that, here's what I believe. God never allows any seed that you sow in the life of another person to go without springing up and bearing fruit in your life. And somehow, some way, God will always bless people who bridge the divide, especially to children. So you be encouraged to think about that and keep praying, blessing our kids. Well, let's move up another level uh, across a generation, and that is talk about our youth. Much of being a youth is about waiting. Now, all the teenagers, could you listen to Pastor Greg? Tune in for just a moment here. Wait until you're older, get your license, turn 18. But the real message is that you are somebody vital and important to God, useful to God right now. Can can I preach this to you? Can I speak the truth to you? I know that much of what youth is about is waiting, but you don't have to wait to be useful in the hands of God. You don't have to wait to give your whole life to God. Youth is a precious gift. Youth is a gift that you can present to God but it's a fleeting gift. Think about it. You can never give your gift of youth to God ever again. The Bible says, give God the first fruits of your life. What happens all too often is that uh, people squander their youth or they despise it, counting it of no value. Uh, You know, no one listens to me. No one pays attention to me. You know, everyone tells me to, you know, wait until I get older, grow up or whatever. When we're young, let me remind you, the only thing we have to give God is our youth. Let that soak. Too often the opportunity is lost, we end up regretting our choices in youth. How many folks have had a wasted youth failing to recognize this great opportunity to give God your whole life? Youth youth is a gift you can only give God when you're young. You cannot give your life to God retroactively. Doesn't work that way. You either give your youth to God, listen, or you steal your youth from God. If there's anything of value or significance, it's worth presenting to God. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse one says it this way. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship. 
present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is the way you worship. This is how you express your spirituality. Now, let me ask you a question. At what point do we have control of our bodies? Let me tell you when. Right now. (laughs) You cannot give God your body yesterday. You can't give God your body tomorrow. All you have is now. So listen, listen to the pastor. If you are young, this is the only opportunity you will ever have to give God your youth. If you waste it, you'll never have that privilege again. There's only one time in your life when you can give your whole life to God, and that's when you're young. Youth youth do not have to wait to be a significant part of God's work. You can be a significant part of what God is doing right now. Now, there are four specific lies that have been perpetrated on youth culture uh, immemorial, forever. Let me just point those four lies. They, They are absolute lies that are perpetrated upon youth culture in every generation. The lies go something like this. Here's the first one. Short-term gratification will bring long-term happiness. So in other words, have fun now. Don't worry about tomorrow. Do what makes you feel good. Do what makes you happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? So so I'm just going to do whatever I want, whatever feels right, what everybody else is doing, and that will make me happy. So short-term gratification somehow brings long-term happiness. Let me give you a better idea. Make a short-run decision for honorable living, maybe we call it holiness, then you'll be making a long-run decision for happiness. Lay a good foundation of moral character and ethical practice now, and that will lay a foundation for long-term happiness in the future. Because not everything that feels good, not everything that makes you happy, not everything that everybody else is doing is good and is laying the kind of foundation you need in your life. So the lie is that somehow short-term happy produces long-term happy, and it's just not true. Here's the second thing. It's a lie, and that is it's hard to be a Christian. Too hard. Too hard to be a Christian. Let Let me just say something to you. Being a Christian is not easy, but it's not too hard. Let me tell you what's hard. What's hard is getting drunk and wrecking your dad's new pickup truck. That's hard. What's hard is partying with your friends and doing that weekend after weekend until you realize you're addicted to this substance or that. That's hard. That's hard. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. You want to to find hard and difficult and depressing and discouraging and dysfunctional, then follow the way of the transgressor. Walk away from God's design and plan. Walk away from his boundaries set in place for your benefit and your good. And you'll find that that's too hard. It's not too hard to be a Christian. In fact, you start following Jesus and you will begin a life that has enough adventure to it that you won't be bored. You won't be confused. You won't, you won't, you won't be lost. You won't be wondering what in the world. You won't have to ask the question, why am I here? You will have a sense of purpose and calling and destiny that will make a difference and carry you all the way to the end of your life. Following Jesus is where it's at, friend. It's exciting. It's, ex- fun, it's fun. It's adventuresome. It's where real life can be found. Not too hard to be a Christian. Here's a third thing. You have to be rebellious. What a goofy idea. Well, I'm young now, you know, I'm supposed to, 
you know, get out there and try things and test things and sow my wild oats, you know. Uh, youth is about adventure and getting out there and doing crazy and wild things. Listen to this. In the name of Jesus, you don't have to be rebellious. In the name of Jesus, you can actually be nice to your parents. It's okay. It's a good thing. Be nice. Respect your parents. In the name of Jesus, submit to your teachers, your coaches, your pastors. It's a good thing. It will establish you. You don't have to be rebellious. Here's the fourth thing. Nobody understands. This is the biggest one. This is the most outrageous lie that's perpetrated on youth culture in the world. That nobody understands you. Now here's, here's the truth. Here's a revelation. I'm talking to a 16-year-old girl right now who is in the midst of a crisis of one form or another. And it's a big deal. You know, the world is near the end. And you, and you feel all alone as if no one could possibly understand what you're going through right now. I've got news for you. We all understand what you're going through because your 45-year-old mother was 16 once. She knows exactly what you're going through. Your dad was 16 once. We all get it. We've all been there and done that. We know the confusion. We know the loneliness. We know the hormones. We know the mix of feelings and emotions that you're living with. We get it. Nobody understands. Here, people believe this, this pile that nobody understands. Listen, everybody understands. Everybody gets it because everybody's lived through it. Let me just remind you that the Bible reports to us that there was a boy king named Josiah. He led Israel for many years and reform came to the nation. Revival came to the nation under the leadership of King Josiah. You know how, how old Josiah was when he began to rule Israel? He was eight, eight years old. Now, now tell me you don't have a role to honor Christ and to be an effective leader as a young person. There was a shepherd boy named David. You remember him. He destroyed a giant, secured victory for the nation of Israel. He became the man after God's own heart and ruled Israel well for many, many years. He was just a boy when he killed that giant, probably barely a teenager when he killed Goliath. And of course, God brought his own son into our world, how? Through a teenage girl named Mary. So God is in the business of doing significant things through young people. Youth are the church of tomorrow and the church of today. I have a story myself. And this is why I feel such passion about what I'm describing right now. When I was 16 years old, that's when I gave my life first and forevermore to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's when I surrendered my life to him and received his gift of life, became a follower of, of Jesus. Uh, this time next year, I'll be approaching 50 years following Jesus. I haven't regretted one day of it. No, no, just the opposite. God has used me from the time I was a teenager. I preached my first sermon when I was 18 years old. When I was 18 years old. And the, the first time I preached the gospel in a church, 
my little Methodist church in Boswell, Indiana. I was 18 years old. That day, listen, 16 people made first-time decisions for Christ in that service. Something's going on here. God uses teenagers. When I was 17 years old, I took my date, my future wife, Beth, to church with me to hear a special guest speaker, and that was the night that she gave her life to Jesus. When I was 19 years old, my father, in the, in, the, in the context of a personal crisis, asked me for advice because he knew that I was a follower of Jesus, and I led my dad to Christ. Prayed, prayed a prayer with my dad for him to receive Christ into his life when I was 19 years old. My dad is in heaven today because of that. So you can push back all you want about, you know, youth is a time to, you know, hang it out there and run from God and run from authority and run from absolutes and run, run from God and, and, you know, do something before it's too late and you get old and you can't enjoy yourself anymore. That's all a big pile of poo, hot, stinky, smelly poo. Just the opposite is true. God wants to put his hand on your life right now and make a difference in your life and through your life. And he wants you to give your whole life to God. And the only time you can do that is when you're young. Talking to someone right now. Say yes to Jesus. Surrender to his lordship in your life. You won't be disappointed. Well, we can move it up another notch generationally. Let's talk about young adults for a moment. Young adults in our culture today uh, have often been called millennials. Uh, we also know that Generation Z now has emerged into the, the sociological study of our culture. Uh, folks who were born between 1996 and about 2010 are now considered part of Generation Z, just following the millennials. Um, for some of you older people, just think about this. These are uh, folks who are finishing high school uh, on college campuses right now. These are folks who don't remember 9-11. They weren't old enough, they weren't born. Think about that. Uh, America has always been at war in their lifetimes. Uh, the 2008 recession wobbled most of their families and affected their psychology as Gen Zers. They therefore feel a bit unsettled. They feel insecure. Uh, over 50% of them, when they, when they ask, when they're surveyed, worry about student debt. Uh, another 40% of them wonder if, if college is even an option for them because of the expenses. They care about family. They care about health. They care about the welfare of the world. They have instincts along these lines, but they also have about them uncertainty and some hesitancy. There's a level of brokenness there. And one of the identifying characteristics of this generation is loneliness, this sense of isolation. Uh, social media, uh, while it connects us in so many ways and varieties, it does not give us the intimacy we need. And so we have an entire generation now that have very high technical skills with social media and that sort of thing, but at the same time feel lonely. It's an interesting, interesting generation. And let me just remind you that even in the midst of all that, there is something real to be found in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Now, no matter where you find yourself on this scale, uh, these younger generations who are now young adults right now, many have been from broken homes. Uh, they've seen broken leaders, broken promises. There's this fear, confusion, anger, and it's a very, very serious, very serious psychological thing. Now, having said that, this is a generation of people who love the arts. They love stories. They love narratives. They love the sensory. They are, they are very much inclined to authenticity and relationships. And I have great hope for this generation. Let me give you two reasons why I'm so hopeful. The first is this, I'll put it on the screen for you, that there is about them a core honesty, a core honesty. It's clear and it's real. They are uh, willing to distill all other alternatives that are not real and not working in order to embrace ultimate truth. So they're, they're suspicious of absolutes. Uh, they, they don't embrace a common language. And so their definitions kind of get squeezed here and there. And as, a, as an older generation, of a baby boomer and approaching senior now for myself, I can see that that makes me anxious. That makes me a little nervous toward them. Uh, because they're unwilling to embrace what I've discovered and believe to be the truth. And, and so they're less inclined to immediately just grab for absolutes and truth, but they're actually willing because of their core honesty, even though they may go through a season where they're not sure about God and about his word and about the church, and they express that, their honesty and their integrity and their authenticity will actually eventually lead them to the truth. And if what we preach is true, that's what they're gonna discover. I've always said, let the best idea win. I think the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best idea that's ever been offered to humanity. I think it's a really wonderful idea. I think it's the truth that God being rich in his love and mercy offered his very own son as a satisfaction for the sin that we commit that separates us from a relationship with God and that God made a way for us when there was no way. God sent his only son as a missionary to give his life to satisfy the penalty of our sin so that our relationship might be restored. That is a great, great message. That is, that is, that is a wonderful story. And I think it's true. And I'm hanging my hat on it. And I wanna encourage you if you're a person in one of these younger generations who have a core honesty about you to lean into the possibility that that is true. Now there's core honesty. And then there's a second thing that makes me optimistic about young adults right now. And that is their core concern for others. They are, you are passionate about the needs of people around you. You care about issues of social justice, global redemption, uh, planet care, these are important issues for you, as they should be. And this gives me great hope and it gives me great encouragement to believe that as you gravitate toward the truth with that kind of core concern for others, that it's gonna lead you down paths of really significant, meaningful ministry for Jesus' sake in the world. So good for you and I'm excited for you. And let me just say this, uh, Union Chapel is very interested in helping you take the next steps. And we, we are designing and have designed all kinds of structure of opportunities for you. 
So if you're a college student and you're just finishing up or close to finishing and you're not certain about next steps in your future and maybe God's calling you into some kind of ministry, maybe even full-time vocational ministry, we want to talk to you. And we want to maybe invite you to come and join us here at Union Chapel for a year or two so that we can disciple you and help you sort out your sense of call and maybe train you up so that you can practically engage in children's ministry or youth ministry or church planting, missionary activity, and, and we can help you then take next steps. And, and so that's my invitation to you to consider just hanging out here for a year or two uh, as you're approaching graduation or after you graduate so that we can help you sort out God's sense of call in your life. Well, let me just, uh, let me just go to this last uh, age group, and that's the seniors. Uh, seniors often get marginalized and misunderstood in our culture today. There are so many reasons why um, seniors now are, are perhaps the most isolated people in the culture. Um, I want you to... to um, to figure out if you're in the senior category, I found this list recently. Uh, this is a, a list that would indicate that you're old. Now, maybe you don't feel like you're old, but this, these would be indicators. For example, old is when your sweetie says, let's go upstairs and make love, and your answer is, pick one, I can't do both. That's a sign. <laughs> old is when your friends compliment you on your new alligator shoes and you're barefoot. That's a sign. Uh, old is when a sexy babe catches your fancy and your pacemaker makes the garage door go up. That's, that's an indication. Uh, old is when you don't care where your spouse goes just as long as you don't have to go along. Sorry, the women are cringing right now. Old is when you are cautioned to slow down by the doctor instead of by the police. That's a sign that you're old. Old is when getting a little action means I don't need to take any fiber today. Yeah. Old, old is when getting lucky means you find your car in a parking lot. I, so, have you ever lost your car in a parking lot? It's a sign. Yeah. Old is when an all-nighter means you don't have to get up to pee. See, these are, these are <laughs> indications. Now, I, I understand. I get it. Uh, a more sophisticated, more refined, more urbane uh, kind of pastor would never use these kind of crass bodily functions as indicators of old age, uh, but you've got me. And so here we are. These, but these are signs. Let me, let me just uh, give you some scripture now that might encourage you. So, Psalm 92, verses 12 to 15. I'll put this on the screen for you. The psalmist said, but the godly shall flourish like the palm trees and grow tall as the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted into the Lord's own garden and are under his personal care. Even in old age, here it is, even in old age, they will still produce fruit and be vital and green. This honors the Lord and exhibits his faithful care. Can I just remind you as the older people in the church, you have two primary mandates. One is to keep the faith. Run all the way to the line, keeping the faith. Finish well by keeping the faith. 
Because you know that if you keep the faith, there's laid up for you, crown of righteousness at the end. There's a heavenly reward. So run to the line, get all the way to the finish and keep the faith in the company of the apostle Paul, of course, who kept the faith. The second mandate for those of us who are a little older is not only to keep the faith, but to pass on the faith, pass on the faith. And the psalmist says, even in old age, you're gonna produce fruit and be vital and green. Do, do you see that? Not, it, it doesn't say, doesn't say crusty and all brown. It says vital and green, which means that there's vibrancy there, that there's life there, that there's fruitfulness there. And this is the mandate for us. If you're breathing, God is not finished with you. The one primary obligation of being alive is to live. And if you know Jesus, then you are to live in the context of his greater calling on your life. And whatever capacities and gifts and, and abilities he's given you, he expects you to utilize all the way to the end, best you can. And so that's the call, that's the mandate, because it's gonna take all of us. The primary call of God in the church is to save the world, and it's gonna take every last single one of us to be all in, to see the mission fulfilled. And the way that we can do that best is by continue to reach across and bridge the divide that tends to separate us. The world, the flesh and the devil want people generation to generation to be divided. God wants us to be united. And in that, in that united posture, we can change the world. We can change the world and make a difference and make God place on us the grace we need to continue to reach across these divides, make a difference in the world. Amen? Well, let's pause and pray about these things for just, just a moment. Lord, we want to build bridges. We don't want to add to the divide. So give us a vision for what our lives and this church can be as we are the first to reach across and bridge the generational divide. God, give us grace to do that. Now, friends, while you're praying uh, right now, I, I sense the spirit of God really ministering to young people today. And could I just encourage you, if you're a young person, if you're, if you're a child, you're part of Generation Alpha, you were born after 2010, and you're sitting with your parents or your family right now, and you're listening to this, let me invite you, if you haven't done this, to take the first step. And the first step is to receive Jesus Christ into your life, to say yes to him. Let me help you do that. Just, just pray this prayer after me. Maybe your parent can help you right now. Take your hand, pray this prayer after me. Oh God, forgive me of everything I've done wrong. I'm sorry for my sins. And I thank you that Jesus died for me, that he gave his life on the cross for me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I receive your love. I receive your hope. I receive your life. I give my life to you.
And from this day forward, I'm determined to follow you. I give my whole life to you. Starting today, a day I will never forget because you have touched my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.